Hello everyone, and welcome back to a brand new episode of In The Know with Musa. I'm your host, Musa Wengosi, and on today's episode, I'll be talking about the life of Nathaniel Nakasa, who was a South African journalist. But before I talk about him, I would like to give a book review of The Metamorphosis. Family duty requires the suppression of disgust and the exercise of patience, nothing but patience. That is a quote from The Metamorphosis, a 1915 novella by Franz Kafka, and it follows Gregor Savins as he awakes one morning to find out that he has turned into a cockroach. Still trying to process what has happened to him, his family, which consists of his parents, Mr. and Mrs. Savins, as well as his younger sister, Grit, knock at his locked door as they are worried about why he hasn't gone up to go to work yet. Gregor tries to reassure them that everything is alright, but they don't buy it. As if things couldn't get worse, his boss arrives at his home to ask about his whereabouts and speaks to Gregor, and since he doesn't give a clear response to his boss, he threatens to fire him. His father is furious at him, and his mother starts crying because she cannot believe his behavior. They start to get worried about him as his voice changes. They assume he is ill and immediately send his sister and the cleaning lady to call the doctor and a locksmith. They start to feel guilty for having been unaware that he might be sick. Gregor eases them of their guilt and decides to open his bedroom door and his parents are horrified to discover that their beloved son has turned into an insect. The novella then takes us through the ways in which his metamorphosis has changed everything for the worst. Since Gregor was the breadwinner of his family and cannot work for obvious reasons, his family sells most of their valuables and each member gets a job so just so they can get by. In the first few weeks of his metamorphosis, only Grit, his younger sister, would get into his room to give him food to eat. She was still hostile about the whole situation, but not as hostile as his mother and father, who only went to his room months after, and his mother even fainted in horror after seeing him. Eventually, over time, his family is annoyed with his existence and come up with a plan to get rid of him. In the end, Gregor is unable to live with the fact that he has caused his family immense pain and sorrow, and he dies. His family rejoices and starts a new chapter in their life. The novel is about family and how even if something terrible happens to your family member, you must still love them because at the end of the day, they're family, and families should always try to exercise as much patience as possible with each other. The novel is also about isolation, a feeling most of us can relate to, as we all feel isolated from others sometimes, whether physically or socially, and we all probably experienced the feeling during lockdown, when we couldn't see our friends or our extended family in fear of contracting COVID. Kafka details how being isolated from those we love is an excruciating experience and that we as humans are social beings who aren't capable 
capable of being alone for a long time without feeling lonely. The novella is a short read, as my copy of the novel was only 46 pages. It was my introduction to Kafka, and I can't wait to read more of his work. I rate the novella 3 out of 5 stars. Now, back to today's topic. Nathaniel Nagasa was born in Chesterville, a township outside of Durban, on the 12th of May, 1937. He is one of five siblings born to Chamberlain Nagasa, who was a typesetter and a writer, and Alvina Nagasa, who was a teacher. Little is known about his early life, except for the fact that at 17, he completed his junior certificate while attending a mission school at the Zulu Lutheran High School in Oshwe, a township in KZN that falls under the municipality of Umlazi. A year after he completed school, and thanks to the help of his friends, he found a job as a junior reporter at the Ilangala Senatar, a Zulu language weekly newspaper. He joined Drum Magazine in 1957 after his reporting caught the attention of Sylvester Stein, who was then the editor of the magazine. While at Drum, Nate and his colleagues had to be careful of how they reported on apartheid due to the suppression of Communism Act of 1950. And they were tasked to report the effects of apartheid indirectly on black lives without actually condemning it because that would have led them to being banned from practicing journalism. After the Shopville Mascara of 1960, which claimed the lives of 69 people and left 180 people injured, South Africa gained international attention, which resulted in it being asked to write an article for the New York Times. And here's a summary of the article. The title of the article is The Human Meaning of Apartheid, and it was written and it is a written account of what life was like for black individuals in apartheid South Africa. Nate discusses how brutal white police officers are, and how even more brutal black police officers were towards black prisoners. He also talked about the importance of the bus system, and how without a bus, a black man was as good as a criminal on the run. He talks about how black men without their bus would appear in court the following day to face the charge of failing to produce his bus, and they would have to pay a fine of one pound, which is equal to 15 pounds in 2021, and is converted to rand, it is 389 rand. It seems like not such a heavy fine, but for a black man back then, who was barely earning minimum wage in 1961, it was a lot of money, and if they couldn't pay the fine, the Bantu commissioner would rule them to spend two weeks in jail or be handed to a farmer who would pay him nine pence or nine cents a day for the man's labor. So, a bag of 1 kg of apples in 1961 cost 23 cents, meaning the black man would earn less money than the cost of a bag of apples for their labor. 
Nate also gave an example of how two men died in a fire trying to rescue the buses from a burning cosmetic factory. Nate gave um, forms of apartheid like permanent curfews in all South African cities and signs like dogs and natives not allowed displayed in various buildings. And yes, black people were in the same subgroup as dogs. We might have been even in a lower subgroup because we all know how white people love their dogs. He gave an example of the time he was refused entry to a lift because it was exclusively for white people. The elevator operator told him to use the elevator that was reserved for black people. Nate told him it wasn't working and the operator proceeded to tell him to walk a flight of stairs, to walk nine flights of stairs. Nate decided to leave altogether. Nate mentions how black people have had to adapt to apartheid and laugh at it, laugh it off because they thought the white people and their laws were stupid. And if we're being honest, they were totally stupid. He made an interesting point that the country couldn't afford apartheid. Like having two parks and two trains on, the, on one route when you can only have one. He ends off the article by writing that black and white South Africans seem trapped together under a common destiny in the same country at the same time. In June 1963, he published an English-language quarterly literacy magazine called The Classic, which was aimed at African intellectual writers and poets from any race. The magazine featured writers such as Ken Temba, Ezekiel Mabesha, and Kesim Toti, and would later be edited by writer Bonnie Simon. The magazine's first year's printing would be funded, unbeknownst to him, by the CIA in its attempt to cultivate a pro-American intellectual elite around the world. In 1963, the PE Act was passed, and it gave the apartheid government even more power to ban or censor content they found to not serve the country's best interest. This, you can imagine, affected Nagasa's work as he tried not to break the law. He applied for a Neiman Fellowship, a journalism program at Harvard College, out of fear for his future employment prospects in South Africa. And he was accepted for the 1965 intake. In the same year, the former editorial page editor of the Rand Daily Mail, Alistair Spock, invited Nate to write a black perspective column for the paper. This was a big deal as the Rand was mostly read by white people. When Nate applied for a passport, he was refused and would only be given a passport if he was exiled, which meant that he would, wouldn't have let go of his, he would have to let go of his citizenship and never return to, the, to South Africa. Nate Nakasa did not know that the South African police were monitoring him for the past five years and were about to issue him with a five-year banning order under the Suppression of Communism Act when he left for the U.S. in October 1964. When he got to America, which he thought was a safe haven, he was shocked 
by the subtle racism that existed there, and he moved to Cambridge, Massachusetts. While at Harvard, he participated in anti-apartheid protests at Cambridge and in Washington, D.C. He attempted to write for the New York Times again, but he was unsuccessful. After he had completed his fellowship in June 1965, he tried to extend his visa beyond August, which was unsuccessful at the t same time he was short of money. He was now living in Harlem as a freelance journalist, and he wrote articles for several newspapers, and he even appeared in a television film titled The Fruits of Fear. Before his untimely death, he had been planning to write a biography of Miriam Makewa. A few days before his death, he told a friend that he couldn't laugh anymore and his inner capability to laugh meant that he couldn't write. Nakasa suffered from severe homesickness and mixed with his drinking, he became heavily depressed and even confessed to his friend, world-renowned South African author Nadine Kordima, that he was worried that he might have inherited his mother's mental illness. On the 14th of July, 1965, he ended his life when he jumped from his friend's seventh-story apartment building in New York City. Since it was not possible to have his body to bring his body home, he was buried in a cemetery in upstate New York. On the 19th of August, 2014, almost 50 years of his death, his remains were returned to South Africa and he was reburied on the 13th of September of that year, near his childhood home. And his remains were placed at the Chesterville's Heroes Ark. His grave was vandalized a few years later, for some reason. I wanted to make a podcast episode to honor Nate Nakasa, because he is one of the many examples of talented people who were taken from us because of apartheid. Nate was a gifted writer who had a flourishing career in South Africa, but he had to leave everything behind because of how much the apartheid government laws limited his writing. I believe Nate to be one of the, our country's best writers, and I know he would have enjoyed years of success if only his life wasn't cut short. Thank you for listening. Till next time.